In this episode of Over the Bonnet, I chat with an opera singer who has performed in front of audiences all over the world. Kerry Eden has played to crowds of up to 10,000 people before coming home to teach the next generation of classical and contemporary performers. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's over the bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? Kerry Eaton, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Thank you very much for having me today. You're one of Gimpy's hidden treasures. You're a singing teacher. How did it all start? You're a Gimpy girl. Where did the singing start for you? Oh, um, I was born out at... Um, well, I wasn't born. I was born in Gimpy, but I was out, lived out at Wolvoi when I was all my life and um, so my grandmother, music just was in our family, everyone just enjoyed it. So I, I think I was singing pretty much at two or three and not even realising it was going to end up being my career, it was just a bit of fun. But I was passionate about it and took it seriously the whole way through. Had some lessons when I started having some singing lessons when I was 14 and um, by the time I got to grade, I think the end of grade 11, I decided that maybe I'd have a crack at a career in singing. So that's where it all started. You talk about your grandmother. Yeah, and my dad were both into music in a big way, but just as enjoyment. They used to just sing, they'd be humming or whistling or and um, encourage me to join in. And so it just went on from there. Any other singers in the family? Uh, apparently I had some great aunts that could sing a bit, but no, not really. So with no one else in the family that were singers, what gave you the idea that it was going to be something for you? Um, it wasn't until year 11 when I was winning awards in Estedfords and things like that. And um, a cousin said to me, why don't you pursue singing? And it was something that I thought, oh, you don't do that if you're from Gympie or especially while by a farmer's daughter. Um, so then I started thinking a little bit more and more about it and thought, well, what have I got to lose? I'll give it a go and see what happens. And I spoke to my parents, who I thought might be quite conservative about it, and they just said to me, you know, life's long. If you want to be happy, you've got to pursue the things that make you happy, and when you're happy, we'll be happy. So um, they said, just see what happens. So that was what, what led to me just... Uh, auditioning and getting into to study into the universities. How important was it to have that parental support? Oh, it's it's the most important thing you could have. I th I look at um, people these days, and I've seen some really sad sad cases where parents aren't supporting, and yet their children are talented, and they're expected to do something safe. And I understand safe is <laughs> is quite important, but I think people underestimate. The, what work is involved in the arts. You may not be the one at the top, but you may be the one um, stage managing or, or um, going into the business side of it. It doesn't matter. The arts are safe. It just depends on which way you want to use your talents. And there, there are lots of opportunities out there for people. And you just need your parents to open their minds to it and show them a few, a few, a few possibilities, I think. You were, you were talking about uh, a Stedfords and entering them. What was that like going through that process back <laughs> in the day? Oh, it was terrifying. <laughs> I was, used to get physically ill before I performed. So I sang when, when I was a teenager. And I love it when students say I'm really scared. And going, I don't think anyone could have been as terrified as me. I said, I, at least I understand it. And I can share my horrid experiences. But it, I kept going back, I don't know why, but it, it was just something I couldn't leave alone. And um, that's why I loved, the, well, loved anything where I got a chance to sing. Is that a good thing though, that fear to put you in the right frame of mind? Um, no, but you learn to conquer it. I think that's the important bit. And you start backing yourself after a while. It's, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I think it's made me always want to challenge myself because you can see you actually can get over some of these big hurdles <laughs> that you put in front of yourself. And so I'm always looking at problem solving and 
how do I get around this problem? And um, so I think it's made me a lot braver, those moments where I've pushed through. And eventually you get to the other side and you think, well, I was so scared. And that's, that's a really nice, nice feeling. And you do need nerves, it's managing them. And now I look at them as more as a, an excitement instead of a terrifying experience because you, you need an adrenaline rush for when you perform anyway, otherwise you're a bit flat. As a singing teacher, mm. do you get the same nerves when you've got one of your students? Not to the point where I need to rush off to the bathroom, but um, it's, uh, yeah, I do get nervous for them because I understand their first, first experience is always usually the worst experience. So I encourage people to not just do one thing and usually two or three things when they do get up because the first one sometimes, it's not your best effort and sometimes you have to wait a few months before you get another chance to do do something so um i always think um you know do a two or three get them get the first bit of nerves out because usually it, when people are performing everyone in that audience wants to be entertained so they're not looking for you to fail and they're, they're wanting to have a lovely time with you and it's quite a powerful experience when you do get to that point where you can actually step over and actually really enjoy your audience as well as enjoy the performance do you remember the first one first to steadford yeah um, vaguely, <laughs> I remember I was, first, I think I was meant to be first on and I was lucky one of my, it was just in Gympie and one of my cousins was um, stage managing it and my parents <laughs> couldn't work out what had happened to me but I ended up, they moved me to the last on because I could, I was so scared I was just, <laughs> I couldn't get out of the bathroom so it was, um, I did come out and sing but it was, um, yeah, I got through it. I didn't get do very well, but I got through it. Because I remember I used to feel paralysed when I was on the stage. Yeah. That can be a really debilitating thing for a performer, especially when you're trying to yeah. uh, open the vocal cords when you're constricting yourself like that. Mm. Yeah, well, I learned later on how to, um, with lots of training, how to overcome that and make sure just before you walk on stage that you really understand what your diaphragm's up to and yeah and all the muscles surrounding that that um are going to dictate how you're going to use your air pressure so um first the last thing i do before i walk on stage is just double check on where they all are and then i've got quick reference to them as soon as i get out there the whole estedford process for someone that hasn't been to these things talk us through it how does it work Oh, you, there are sections that you go in and there could be a, an art song or a musical theatre song and it's aged, they're in little brackets of age groups as well and, um, and usually, um, you know, it depends on how popular that Estedford is, how many people or children um, get involved in it and put their names down for it. And then there's a number. So if it's an art song, you've got to, there's a specific rules to each section that you've got to provide. Musical theatre, you can dress up in costume. That's really popular with a lot of children and also the more contemporary music as well, pop, the pop scene. So um, my, well, my students more into that. But yeah, the Estedford's kind of been slowed down with COVID lately. So there's, yeah, it's lose, losing a bit of momentum. Is it as relevant today as it was back in your day? I don't think so. No, not as relevant. Because um, the music scene has changed enormously since then. And uh, the world that I lived in, which was opera and classical singing, is, is changing as well. Then we're not going to see as many big glamorous productions, I don't think. So we've got to look at approaching it in a different ways, scaling it down um, and it still will have its place, but I think it's it's changing a lot and people are looking for different, more modern outlooks. What's the pathway then for young people wanting to get a career in music these days if they want to go through the arts? Um, it depends on what form you're going through. I work with a lot of um, pop and rock singers these days and music theatre. Um, a lot of it is just cutting your teeth, gigging as much as you can. Um, music theatre, you really still need to have a do a lot of study. It's really cutthroat out there. It's quite popular and so you've got to have the three. You've got to be a triple threat out there. So you've got to be able to act, sing and dance these days. It's really competitive. I know um, I was speaking to the 
the guys that run Whopper over in Western Australia, the music theatre course over there, that's the one that Hugh Jackman and everyone we kind of know went through. And um, and they, they say they usually only take usually one person from Queensland every year into their course. That's so it's really hard to get into. <laughs> and some people go back year after year and eventually by their fourth time they get in. But um, yeah, so it, it's about being really pushing yourself so you don't miss out on any, any um, you don't have any flaws in your, in your work really. When you talk about someone like Hugh Jackman, how do you describe an artist like that? Um, well, he's the ultimate triple threat, isn't he? <laughs> well, but also he's a nice guy and um, so he's easy to work with. That's another thing that you've got to know it's a team effort. So there's a lot of people around him making him look good. He's, he is good. Don't get me wrong, he's brilliant at what he does. But, um, that it, you know, it's, it, you've got to think of the arts as a team thing as well. So, And he's worked hard. I mean, the people that get to the top have worked hard. They haven't... They make it look easy, but they've worked really hard behind the scenes because a lot of it is 90% um, you slogging it out in a, in a quiet room somewhere with your pianist or something, just practising, practising, and all your dance in your dance studio, and then you get about 10% of fun out the front. But a lot of it's hard slog. What's the feeling like in front of an audience when you are nailing it? Oh, it feels great. It's just like you're flying, really. <laughs> solo flying, but it is nice, especially when you can get over an orchestra when you're not mic'd up or anything like that and you know you're, you're cutting that orchestra that could be 100 people playing underneath you and um, that's a great feeling when you're, you're nailing those moments. More pressure? No, not really. It's, um, well, there's pressure because you're the soloist, but um, um, it's pretty exciting as well if you've done your work. Yeah, I just look at it. It's just another stage, really. So from the Estedfords back in the early in the early days, moving on, you've been successful at the Estedfords. What happened then? Well, in the Queensland Estedford, in my final, I think it was just, I think it was eighteen. Um, it was quite a nice thing. It happened. It was. Um, the adjudicator, I hadn't won anything as per usual because my voice was pretty big and it was pretty unruly at the time. And But I won the bursary for the most promising person there and um, and the adjudicator said it was a world-class voice. Wow. And um, so that made me think, oh, I have to keep pursuing this in a way. It was really a shock to me because I was thinking, who's going to win this thing? And um, so I won some money and then I auditioned for the conservatorium, the UQ as well, Queensland University, what was else, um, Calvin Grove and um, which is now QUT and Darling Downs Institute of um, Advanced Education. Education, that's what it is, <laughs> DDIAE it was called. And so I auditioned for all four of those and got into all four which was nice and um, I was given advice not to go to Brisbane so I went up to Toowoomba for a year and had a lovely year up there actually and learned a lot. Um, but then realised if I really needed to go to the conservatorium, so then I transferred there. What sort of pressure then, once you've got that sort of competition at the conservatorium, or was it um, beneficial to have that level of interaction with other people? Oh, it was great, it was wonderful, but I always doubted myself along the way because I was this country kid that didn't know what they were doing. and. Um, uh, but I was very lucky because I had a rare vo vo um, female voice type. I, I was singing contralto at the time and so I kind of, from what my old friends from uni days said, I just kind of streamed through it because they, they gave me a lot of solo work and um, so I was always busy and, and went straight from, when I graduated, I went straight to, I was selected as a young artist for Opera Queensland, so I went straight into work. So I was very lucky. When did you realise that you had something special? Um, I don't think you ever realise you have something special. <laughs> I just, I, I didn't realise, I don't think I realised it. I think I just liked the challenge of it because it is really the hardest one to get, um, do because you're not mic'd or anything like that. So um, I've found that, that, yeah, I never think special. <laughs> It's just I know that I can hold my own against a lot of people. So, 
um, and and I, have, I can play an important role in that as a group, as a team, because you're not really a soloist, you're in opera, you're, you're working as a team all the time. You've mentioned the team aspect. Mm. Why is the team so important? Well, it'd fall apart if you didn't have everyone working hard together. I mean, I'm always telling my students, you know, never forget um, the guy at the side of the stage or um, <laughs> or be nice to your conductor because they're the ones that can sabotage your performance. And, and it is a team because you're acting on stage as well. There's lots of movement. You've got to be able to not bump into people and look amateur out there. So you're really relying. You have to, It's a massive trust exercise while you're out there. And also the people helping you behind the scenes, your dresser, your, um, the costume, makeup people, you you really respect everyone right through to the guy on security at the at the stage door. Yeah. You mentioned that Hugh Jackman, and he obviously comes across as being such a nice guy. Mm. How important is it to get along with everyone and be a nice person? Um, I know people that have lost a lot of work because they're hard to work with. And they're, they're the best, and some of them are really up there at the top of the, their field in the world. and. People just get tired of working with them because they're just too hard. There's always going to be someone just around the corner that can take your place. So you just have to be be wary of that, I think. Very few people can get away with it. I think um, actually none can, these days no one's tolerating it anymore. Even with directors being tough, it's just not on. You were talking about earlier about uh, how someone behind the scenes can sabotage. How can that happen? Oh, um, they may just let you down in a slight way or they may not give you a cue in time or, the you know, you're, you're left um, um, struggling or the chorus mightn't like you as well if you've if you been mean to them. So they mightn't do their moves on time to make you just trip up a little bit, just to make you look a little bit vulnerable out there. You think, though, as a singer, though, you've mentioned the dancing and acting. Mm. Do people need to do training in all three these days? Uh, we were trained at the conservatorium. I learnt <laughs> some dance there, but it was mainly older styles like gavots, minuets, that from that period. Um, and um, often I had to waltz on stage and do things like that. Um, and yeah, we had everything, acting classes, we had psychology classes. I even did fencing, you know. the Wow. Yeah, I did fencing and we did Tai Chi. We did all these different types of movement things. How does that help? Well, because in some operas we have, I mean, because I played a lot of, because of my voice type, um, I played a lot of boy characters because way back when um, all this stuff was starting, women weren't allowed to sing on stage because it was considered, um, well, it was looked frowned upon as if you were... Um, a bit of a loose woman, so you weren't allowed to perform. It was back Shakespearean times, you know, the same thing happened. So they were using castrati for those roles. And so that stopped. Apparently no boys wanted to go through that anymore. And, um, and so women picked up the slack there. And so I ended up playing a lot of boy roles when I was younger and then went into the older female roles. Did that worry you? No, it was fun. I got to jump out of windows and do really weird things that I normally wouldn't do. So it was great fun. It was interesting. It was challenging trying to get your body to behave like a male body instead of a female body. The training must have been intense. Yeah, it was, but it was always fun. It was always fun. And you're always learning something, how to work in hoop skirts or um, just how to have an interesting back when you walked towards the back of the, of the stage as well. I mean, it's all just how to look interesting on stage. Even if you're not doing anything, you're just standing there, but you still had to keep posture and, and make it look interesting. Is that it, posture that will uh, get you noticed? Yeah, you, it's about standing out on that stage. You're having a presence on it, yeah. Who's the person that you look up to that really has a presence on stage? Oh, in... In the classical world, um, um, there's a few. There's a few Americans that I really like. Um, who am I thinking of at the moment? Susan Graham, she's amazing. Um, the men, I love Bryn Terfel. He's a Welsh singer, opera singer. 
and he he just tells beautiful stories when he sings. He's so honest when he performs. Um, um, well, I I was fortunate enough to work with Dame Joan Sutherland, and I I loved how she sang, and so I really admire how hard she worked. She was incredible with her work ethic. But there were lots of the oldies that I really loved. Um, Queenslanders, we had Greta Alkins, who I was luckily mentored by, and Donald Smith, who was a Bundaberg boy. And um, those people, there's so many out there that you can watch and learn from. Dame Jane Sutherland is obviously one of the big names mm. of Australian opera. How was that experience? It was great because she was just like a normal housewife. and But she was very encouraging. Yeah, she was very, very encouraging and um, just lovely to be around. And you could ask her anything and she would try and come up with an answer for you. What did you learn from her? What was the big thing that she taught you? Um, I think um, she had incredible breath management. And so I worked with her on that because that was something people said, oh, use your support, use your support. And I used to think, what is this mystic thing they call support? <laughs> so I asked her about what she felt when she sang and she said just the bottom half of her body feels like she's a plinth. It just is like rock solid. And, um, and she said that's where she gets her energy from down in her legs and, and across um, across a core and it took me a while to figure it out but then I thought now I know it. once I was starting to feel it I thought now I know what you're talking about. How did you get to get that interaction with Dame Jane? Uh, I was a finalist of a big award in Australia. Um, I was actually living in London at the time and I came home to visit my family and um, I was just working with a friend in Budrum just because I had some stuff to go back to in London later in the year and he, he just said to me, um, you know, there's this big award. I think you should put your name down for it. And I said, I don't be ridiculous. I'm going to go back to London. And um, anyway, he said, no, no, just do it and see how you go. So I just got through all the rounds and got into the finals, and which luckily it was held in Brisbane. And, um, and yeah, so we spent a couple of weeks working with her, which was wonderful. Is she the biggest influence on your career or who would be? Oh, that's a tricky one. There's, there was the lady, um, the people in London, I think. Um, I had Dan, Jan Dal Pratt as well, who was my voice teacher in, in, at the conservatorium. She was fantastic. She was very supportive. And, but I worked with some brilliant people in London. I was lucky enough to work, work a lot with the head of music at Covent Garden. Um, uh, uh, Janice Chapman, who's a world leader in singing, teaching, um, Dinah Harris. And also I was lucky to have met Dinah's brother is the leading laryngologist in, in Europe. And so I learned a lot from the science as well. I'd go to his clinics and watch him work on people with voice disorders. So that's been a big influence, even from the science side and met a lot of speech therapists as well, who've been quite influential in working with breathing and keeping it really basic how you approach things so and yeah there's been hundreds actually that have impacted probably over the years on and I don't think there is one that's the most important they've all added something because you learn from everyone. You talk about the science side you don't really think about that with singing as an art that science would be involved. It's really important now um, just to look after yourself also to get the right um, sound waves going as well so you can cut a big orchestra get that happening and so you there's a lot going on with the audiology side of it as well that and um, and vocal health is really important whether you're just speaking or um, singing full-on but it's how to protect yourself the whole time so you don't have major blowouts because you can uh, you can have a bleed on your vocal folds or little things like that can go wrong or you can I've got to learn as a teacher what to listen for if someone's got a vocal problem that needs some medical attention. What about yourself did you have any problems with that no, sort of thing? No I've been really lucky with that. Um, I haven't had any real problems I've just had the odd flu or something like that go through and you just have to wait <laughs> until that clears but my voice has held up pretty well along the way. What happens when you've got a big performance and you do, like, as you mentioned, get the flu, something happens, like where you might have a problem with your vocals? What do you do? You, um, if you're really too sick, you shouldn't go out there. 
but if you're just a little bit under the weather then you just rely on your technique and just work work extra hard on what your core does to get you through it. The yeah. show must go on. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Coming back to Hugh Jackman, because he's been a real influence on this sort of art. How has Hugh Jackman influenced the next...? Well, I've got a lot of students that are into musical theatre and they look at him, especially some of the boys, they look at him as the um, pinnacle of it all. And, um, yeah, so they're influencing him. I mean, he's influencing them a lot. And I keep having to tell them, you know, you've got to work as hard as him too if you want to get that far. Yeah. What about female influences that are around these days that the girls look up to? Yeah, a lot of them are American. Yeah, there's Audra McDonald, um, Christian Chenoweth. Um, who else could there be? I mean, there's, uh, I forget, Menzel. I can't remember her first name. But um, there's they actually head towards America, a lot of the the girls I work with anyway, that, that I'm teaching, they're looking at that American output. Speaking of uh, heading overseas, from the conservatorium, mm. what happened after that? Um, I sang with Opera Queensland for a, f- for a few years and I also did a little bit of nursing to subsidise myself because I wanted to go and take a year off in London and just concentrate on my singing because I wasn't happy with my technique at that point. I mean, I was working <laughs> and I was getting and I know I was getting good jobs, but um, I, I wasn't satisfied. I thought I could do better, and so I nursed and sang at the same time, which was a bit stupid, but nearly killed myself because I was working really long days. Um, and yeah, then I saved and spent a year in London. Just um, well, I got work as soon as I got there, but it was um, wasn't meant to be work. It was just patches of work. I got little gigs with. Doily Cloud Opera. I'd just fill in for people if someone was sick. I'd get called in to do something ridiculous. I remember one day I, my friend, I'd just arrived in London and my friend said to me, um, oh, there's this job going. You may as well, I've told them about you. They'll give you a call. It was with Doily Cloud Opera and she said, it's for the proms. I didn't know any of this stuff when I got there. And um, she said, you have to sight read. So I had to, hadn't seen the music before, but we had one rehearsal with the orchestra in the morning and then I had to sing <laughs> that afternoon I hadn't seen the music before and um and and I thought it was going to be something small but there were 10,000 people out there when I walked out and so that was a bit nerving I had the worst headache from concentrating so hard but I got through it and then I went back and did another one the week after the next weekend I did another one backed it up what was the reaction obviously good yeah, it was, a, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, apart from the headache, but um, I wanted to kill my friend. I just thought it was some just little backyard gig and there were so many people out there. The proms were just, they're unbelievable over there. Is it a step up over there in the London operatic scene? Yeah, huge step up. It's, it's like you're um, playing Wimbledon in tennis or something like that. Yeah, if you can get in there. It's, the arts are huge over there. Were you still feeling the little gimpy girl at this stage? Yeah, but in a good way because they really respect us and um, they, yeah, one of the comments was we're having an Aussie accent, you're already halfway there with your technique. Yeah, it's a great um, twang on our sound, it's great for cutting an orchestra. So they always said, yeah, you know, accents are great for singing. So, we're, yeah, we've got a really good reputation over there. Having the interaction with Dame Jane, did that open any doors for you over there? Um, not really. Well, I didn't use it for that. Um, the people I, were working, or I was working with over there were already at that level with opening doors. Yeah. Is it something, though, when you are going over there, do you, were you worried that you wouldn't make it? Well, my first thing was I'm just going to work on my voice and see what happens. And so I was only concerned about working on what I had because that's the only thing I had any control over. Um, so I hadn't really thought about plan the next step after that. I just thought, no, I'd just take my time and, and learn my craft a little better and then play around with it after that. So, no, I had never put any pressure on myself because I wanted to travel as well. I thought this is kind of like a... I can do some travelling at the same time, get to see the world a bit. And just things slowly fall into place for you if you don't put too much pressure on yourself, I think. 
when you're talking about doing the nursing, is that mm. how you wanted to fall back on to get the travelling done or was it the singing that was going to take you to different areas? Singing, yeah. The nursing was a just a money-making exercise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it was a really good grounding exercise. I mean, I don't regret doing it for a second because it makes gives you more empathy for, towards people as well. It was because it was pretty selfish to start off with and then I did that. Because when you're singing, you're just in your own little world and only worried about your own welfare. And so that was really great for me to see other people and made me a lot calmer. And I think that's why I've never put that much pressure on myself since. Because you think, well, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky to be able to do this, whereas some people are really struggling out there. What were the egos like? Oh, the Brits are great. The egos aren't too bad. Australians have got a few, but um, occasionally you'll come across a massive ego and you just try and sidestep it a bit. Yeah, but there's not. It's usually pretty good. And I loved working with the British singers. Is there a lot of backstabbing, though, from the competition? You were talking about one place going to that uh, college in WA. Mm. Is there a lot of backstabbing in you know, like stepping on someone to try and get where you need to go? Oh, you'll see it, yeah. Not a lot. You just have to... Um, um, well, I don't see it much. I've, ha I've, I've counted it myself a couple of times. Oh, I've had people try to make me feel um, a little lesser as a singer. That will... Yeah, but I learned pretty quickly that the person that is self-promoting around you usually is not is a bit weaker than you think, so... Um, it's the quiet one in the corner that's going to be the better ones, the better singer. So and they don't they don't do the backstabbing. So if I'm working with those quiet ones, then I'm happy. But I've had a few times. As you get older, you learn to navigate all of that and and ignore it if it crops up. Generally, you see the cream rise. Pretty much, yeah. So when you're getting around the better singers, you don't have that problem at all. You were talking about how you were really going to work on your voice. What did you need to do to get it to the way you wanted it? Um, I had to retrain a bit of it as well. I worked on my breathing technique, which was something that was never really I'd never nailed in Australia. Um, and I was just lucky while I was there that I met a lady that Dinah Harris who had done a course in what they call the accent method which was set up by speech therapist it was to keep it was for actors that had voice problems but then it transferred very well into singing and so I worked on that where I had to do all these breathing exercises for about six months and re retrain how my core worked and that really once I got that under control, my voice just cut, started coming out and I got into the... I didn't have a lot of high notes when I was first left Australia. I mean, I got to a certain height, but I wanted to add a few extra, like an extra five or six notes to the top of my voice. And they just came shooting out once I got the breath under control. Did that surprise you that you needed to retrain? Or did you know it was something you wanted to look at? No, that's that was my plan. I had a plan in my head what I wanted to do and I went over there to do it. And I mean, I could have joined a university and done some more postgraduate study, but I just thought, no, I know my weak areas and I want to just hone in on those. I don't want to be doing all that extra stuff. I'd already been six years at university and didn't want to do a couple more. So yeah, so that's why I just cherry picked who I wanted to work with and how I wanted to work. It's surprising that there's so much work that you've got to put into this. Is it just the same across the board? If you want to get good at anything, you've got to work at it as opposed to having that talent in the first place? Um, are you meaning with sport and all different well, things? Well, with what you're doing. There's obviously been a lot of work that you had to put yeah, into it. Yeah, well, it's a long haul, classical singing. It's a lot harder. Um, there's a long growth pattern for it pop music and music theatre you can get into it a little earlier than that so my voice because I ended up singing a lot of Wagner in the end which is the the big stuff <laughs> and some Verdi and which is something you have to grow into you can't just start and at 19 and do it you'll kill yourself and so you you have to grow into it and you have to have solid muscle work going on there to support yourself through it so I knew it was going to be a long haul and people told me it was going to be a long haul and I just accepted it and just kept plodding along what do you prefer, telling the story or singing the song? Singing the song. Yeah, there's something, there's a direct connection to, I mean, it, 
opens up my heart really and just I like being honest when I sing. Mm. What do you look for when you go and watch other people then? <laughs> um, I want to not notice their technique at all. I want to just go with them when they're performing. Um, because I'm teaching all the time, a lot of the time I'm critiquing in my head. It's always, I never stop working. But sometimes you'll get into an audience and there'll be someone that's so good that you just get taken along on the journey with them while they perform. And I've had that a few times recently. So, yeah, some great Australian young singers coming through and you think, yeah, they've really got it. They're going to make really big waves in the world. Would you like to take some of these people under your wing and take them to the next step? Well, I'm very happy with what I'm doing here and on the coast and um, and getting people started. So they, then them trying to point them in the right direction, set them up to take that next step. Because I think that's the hardest thing is to where do you go once you've done a bit of training and get them to university stage. and Or they don't have to go to university if they're in the pop world but they've trained really hard and um, then start helping them try and find gigs. The pop world, is it something that you enjoy being involved with? Well, it's completely different. It's very, very different because I'm very uncool. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm around all these cool people. <laughs> and, but it, it's been fascinating watching it and coming and me figuring out how, how this world works because mine's different. But it's still the same kind of set up. It's just, it's done in a little bit more relaxed way, I think, so. What's the big thing that you've learned from the pop world? Um, I'm learning that um, a lot of it's not what you know, who you know. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see who's getting selected and who's not. Because a lot of, some of it is, um, when, yeah, I think we're dumbing down, the pop world's getting dumb, dumbed down a bit. We're looking, it's more of a people are looking, listening with their eyes now and not with their ears, uh, <laughs> which is a bit mean of me, but when I go to hear something, I want to hear some of it in tune and, and things like that. I think you have to be able to step up onto a stage and perform. I think you can't just keep auto-tuning everything and um, thinking you can get away with it. You actually have to have a product. And that's the one thing I'm noticing is the products kind of sliding in places. Can everyone sing? Uh, pretty much, unless you've got a vocal disorder. Now you were over in London, you were dealing with people that had vocal disorders. Hmm. How did that influence you? Um, I just am fascinated how it all works, how, why we've got these two little tiny bits of gristle. I can do so much <laughs> and watching how they oscillate and to make the sound waves and how the air comes through between it and and watching the cricothyroid muscle stretching and and um, doing all of those kinds of things it's it's fascinating that we can make so much noise with such a little bit of an apparatus so yeah it's a real muscle that you need to work on yeah, it is. It is something, and, and to get the best sound out of your throat, you need to, um, or your larynx is, to have less muscle work going on in there and more on your core to get the best sound. It's like working with a bell. If you put your hand on the bell, it gets clunky. So if you've got a lot of tension coming in there, you're going to get a clunky sound. Yeah. You talked about your core quite a lot. What's more important, a good vocal cord or good lungs and good breath? It's a combination of two. It's like if you've got the air right, it'll feel like you're just surfing on top of it. It's, um, yeah, you've got a lot of freedom with what you can do. So it's a combination of getting both right and they kind of run parallel with each other. Back to London, you've mm. been out there and you're having a fairly successful time of it. I believe there was a royal connection of <laughs> while you were over there. Yeah, there was. Um, I yeah, I was asked to do a few interesting things over the years over there. I I was asked to sing it just prior to um, the Queen Mother's birthday celebrations, which I never got to do because she passed away in that hundred and one years. But um, and I live next door to royalty as well in London as well. So my next door neighbours were a prince and a princess as well. So um, I spent a lot of time around uh, some members of royal families, yeah. How did you find your interaction with them? Oh, fine. Um, I was always invited to, because I was over there singing, I was always at the Australian Embassy doing stuff. And so I was always mingling with lords and ladies all the time. So, 
And I just treated them exactly the same way as I treat any Australian, really. And yeah, I got on, they were pretty down to earth, most of them. Coming from Gympie, being a country girl, mm. is that important when you are dealing with these sorts of people? Do they think they're a cut above or are they just genuine people? Some do. <laughs> Others don't. Yeah, they're just genuine people. They're just, they're interested in lots of things and learning. I mean, you know there's a class system over in the, in the UK, you understand it, but being Australian, we don't kind of fit. So they don't know how to treat us. So we kind of get, there's lots of blurred edges so we can kind of worm our way around it, which I found fascinating <laughs> because I, I'd never seen class setups like that before. You know, people did know they were working class and middle class and upper middle class and then royalty, so. From what you've seen, are they held into that class system? Um, yeah, yeah, they are, yeah. it's. I think people are breaking away from it a bit now, but I did witness a lot of with the older generation. They kind of, there was a place for them where they belonged, whereas um, Australians don't respect that. And we just move along and just, um, I was always told before I left London, mention you've got a farm, you come off a farm because it puts you straight into middle class, upper middle class. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was, little did they know, it's just a farm out of Walvo. But anyway, it does help. Yeah, it does help. And also being involved in the arts, they really, the upper classes really love the arts. So you're, you're fine. Coming from the country and having that grounding, did that help you though when you're dealing with these people? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know, I just tried to be myself around them and polite and, and so I never tried to do anything special. I just thought, well, this is who I am and this is all you're going to get So, and this is all I can offer you. But I did enjoy their company. Going to perform for the Queen Mother, how disappointed were you when it didn't happen? Well, I was more surprised that I was asked to do it, more so than disappointed, because it was the French, it was actually the French, um, Oh, it wasn't the French Embassy, there was a, a French society over there that put my name forward to do it because I'd sung, just sung some French repertoire for them. I'd given a recital and they put my name forward to, to represent them. And I thought this interesting, uh, this French society and this Aussie <laughs> singing French songs to the Queen Mother. But anyway, um, that's what really surprised me. I thought, why am I doing it of all people? So, but that was really nice. It was a bit of a thrill to be asked. When you're actually having to learn these things, you say the French um, songs that you were going to do, how hard is it to take it on board and own it? Um, you, do, you have to work quite a bit on it. Um, we did train at conservatorium. We did, I'd learnt four languages, three languages there, French, German, Italian, and I'd learnt German during my school years as well. And you just have to make sure you know every what every word means. You translate everything, you laboriously sit over it and work it out and go and work with language coaches and make sure you've got your French right, the accent right. <laughs> and um, But it doesn't frighten me or anything because as long as I do my homework on it, it's fine. Is that something that uh, you rest on, the fact that you do prepare so well? Yeah, you have to. Occasionally you get asked to do something really quickly like the sight reading that I did for the proms but the majority of the time you take I learnt from a great singer once he said he took six months to prepare a role Wow! and um, he said he'd, he'd break the back of it and then put it aside for a month or two and then come back to it and polish it and I thought you know that's probably the best way to do anything is just to make sure it's really in your body the muscle memory kind of really is important how much money can be made for a top-level opera singer over there? Over there, um, America makes more money than the Brits, but I think, I can't remember what the last thing was. I know Covent Garden was paying f about £5,000 a performance. I think around that, it depends on the singer. It depends on what your agent's like. But the money's, it was comfortable, yeah. It's comfortable living. It's a tough life if you get right to the top because you're on a plane the whole time moving around and a lot of um, people fall apart at the seams with that lifestyle and marriages fall apart and children struggle as well if they've got families. Did you look at the US? Not really no that was never an interest and I, I think there were enough American singers over there fighting for it because it's big over there as well and I was looking at more of Europe 
that's looking at Germany. Germany has 80 working opera houses and, um, and Italy's got a few and, you know, France has got quite a few as well. But I really loved being in England. So did you do much in other areas of Europe? Um, not really. I was invited to Portugal to sing and then I had to come, I was coming home to sing. So I, I had to knock that back. But I did go on audition and I did get offered, um, well, I was approached by an agent in Germany that really wanted me to sing over there, but I knew I didn't want, that would have been a permanent job and I didn't want to live in Germany. So, <laughs> which is a bit weird, but I knew I couldn't survive on my own in Germany as it just wasn't the right place for me to be. I just loved being in the UK. What didn't you like about Germany? Oh, I like, I just didn't think my personality would sit really well um, there. And I'd had friends that were over there that struggled with it and I thought I was similar to them and I didn't want to get depressed on my own over there. And I don't know, I think I just was in a cosy position in London and I thought if I'm going to start again, I don't want to start again there with also having to make sure I was fluent in the language and um, and just, yeah, once again, there's a formality that the Germans have that I thought might have been a little bit trickier for me to, <laughs> to handle. And I, you really needed a few Aussies around you, I think, to buoy you up if you were going to do it. When you're talking about the different accents and getting fluent in German or singing French, how important is the accent and having it right? It's really important because there are regional accents as well. So it depends on what you're seeing. Um, French have, um, they have some different accents as well. They've, there's, um, there's this wonderful piece called The Songs of the Avan and that's um, the Avan region. Their French is very, very different to the normal French. A lot of it's clipped harder than what you'd normally hear. And so you have to know what, where the piece came from, what's their accent like on that. And high, high German you'd use in opera, which is kind of from what I've been told is from that Frankfurt area. So you have to kind of work on that accent from there to sing on that. And you look down upon when you don't nail the accent, especially coming from Australia? Um, no, you have, for, there are coaches there that will point it out to you, that your conductor would come up to you or someone would be on hand all the time working on those languages with you. But you usually, you, after a while you get the hang of it. What's the biggest audience that you've played to? I've oh, quite a few tens and um, a lot of fives as well. And in the theatres, usually about 2,000. They're usually in the big theatres. If they're outdoors, they're bigger, but in, inside most theatres are... And, yeah, I think... Well, um, QPAC's got about 2,000 seater, I think. And in the UK... Um, yeah, a few 2000s over there, I think, when I think back at it. <laughs> what do you prefer, the really big audiences, the 10,000 people or the more intimate gatherings? Um, I like them in between. Well, the big one's fun, you, but you just can't, you can only interact with the first couple of rows. You don't know what's going on at the back of it. Um, but I think I like being in around 2000. Mm. After a performance, What's the procedure after that? What happens when you've really nailed a performance? Do you go and mingle with yeah. the people? Um, not all the time. You just get your makeup off, you take your wig off, your clothes off, all of this stuff. And usually you just hang out with your friends that you've just sung with. Sometimes you'll meet people backstage. Um, they'll come in, but usually it's go home, go to bed, get ready for the next one. So. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we do mingle, but not not on purpose. It's not something you've, that's not the highlight. It's just, I got through another show and I'm, and you're usually pretty exhausted. So how much does it take out of you when you do really nail a performance and you're really given of yourself in a performance? How does it take it out of you? Well, you're on a high for a little while and then you just crash and, and you're exhausted, physically exhausted. It's like playing a rugby match or something like that. You need to get some serious sleep and then also rest your vocal folds because they've you've put them through a fair pace as well so it's yeah you go home and um, go to sleep <laughs> and have a good sleep and then start getting ready for whatever you're doing next. You were talking about Dame Jane Sutherland and when she was talking about the bass mm. and when you really 
nail something, you can feel it from your base. When did you know that you had it? Um, oh, I suppose I was starting to feel it in my, at the end of that year of training, I was starting to feel what she was talking about. Making it consistent was a bit harder, but um, starting to get that feeling was pretty important. Yeah, the first time I thought, oh, that's what she's talking about. <laughs> you talk about the correlation of sport, but is it generally a sport in itself, the arts? Um, well, I look at singing. I had a brother that was a pro tennis player and I played tennis as well. And I always think of myself as if I hit the ball well, usually your body was free. And um, and so I, I think of it, I use it and it was used, my teacher used to use it as a, as a guidance for me as well. We'd go into tennis ideas, how would I hit the ball or, um, and, and use your body the same way. The power of the shot kind of thing and the timing, it's all in the timing and how you put things together. So I always equate it with sport. Um, I think it's um, very similar, except for it, we're using um, not the gross motor skills we're doing. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's different. It's different, but similar. Are you finding that artists these days still want to work as hard as, say, you did back in the day? Um, depends. <laughs> some do, some don't. There is no easy, there's no fast track, especially in classical world. You have to really do a lot of work and practice and prepare. I think some think it's an easy road in. You can't just put a nice dress on and go out and do it. You have to have a lot of you have to have something special that you, you deliver. You were talking about how, in some ways, things are being dumbed down in the pop area. Well, that's my opinion. Well, <laughs> what do you think of these shows where people can get instant notoriety just for being on one of these shows, whether they're any good or not, but right time, right place? What do you think of them? Are they a good thing? Um, well, I think for some people it might be useful, it, especially if you don't get through to the end. I think just a bit of television exposure is good, but it is a money-making game for the TV companies. And um, I've had a few students do them, and I think they've benefited a little bit from it, but um, they, yeah, I, I think there are nicer ways of doing things and helping people, yeah, without the money, the dollars in incentive. <laughs> Do they get too tied to the uh, the whole machine, the television machine? Well, the machine, there's a contract and you've got to sign that. And um, I, th I I look at it and think, you know, the, the singer is, the, or the performer is at the bottom rung of importance in the whole setup. And um, so... You can be lucky, but lately we haven't been seeing anyone making it big time from, from those competitions. We haven't seen anyone then going off to have a national or international career from it, not for a long time. So I think it's kind of past its use-by date, really. What do you put it down to, that there aren't? Is it just not the talent? Oh, we've got heaps of talent here, heaps of talent. It's it's ex um, But if you want to go and see the talent, you've got to go to the festivals and and see people live. Is that the thing that you sort of suggested that they need to be out gigging and really yeah. getting the work and doing the hard yards? Yeah, you've got to build up your product to a performance level that actually gets you employed in the festival circuits, yeah. Is that similar to the operatic scene where you need to get, yeah. your, get your hands dirty as it were? Yeah, you've got to realise that you're you are your own business and you have to make sure your business is competitive, yeah. So when someone comes in to start working with you, mm. what's the procedure, what happens? It depends on their age, really. If they come to work to, with a goal in, in their mind, then they get worked really hard. Because <laughs> I think you're not gonna, I won't let you get away with anything, really. If it's just for so fun, then I'm not going to pressure you into, especially a smaller person, um, a young child coming through. There's no pressure on that. It should be fun. It's something that you might want to use in the school choir or something like that. It, and it's a confidence thing, building confidence. And I mean, I teach a lot of people that I know that aren't going to follow that, but that helps them public speaking and just simple things like that in their classroom, getting up and presenting a, a, 
a report or in front of their class, then that helps. But I do get students that come along and occasionally go, how do I go about <laughs> doing such and such? And then that's when I get really excited because I think, okay, here we go. This is one. How often do you have someone that you see has the X factor? Get a, it depends. Some years you get a few and then next thing there's a bit of a drought. And, um, but there are a few out there that I've handed over to other places that I know that are going to do well. There's one boy from Gympie, Patrick Connolly, that's doing extremely well now and he's graduated from the conservatorium and is doing a lot of work, and um, which is great, but he always had the right work ethic and he always worked and wanted to learn more and more and more and was always picking your brain and I thought, you know, that's the right, the right approach. You've got to just want to be a sponge when you're that age. Any other people that have uh, passed through your doors over the years? Um, yeah, there's Aspie Jones, who's doing quite well in Gympie. He's, he's been singing all over the place and COVID slowed him down a bit. He's had some wonderful gigs that have been cancelled, but um, I'm sure it'll take off again. And um, the Dennis sisters, the duo, I worked with them for a long time. Plus there's a few rock bands and a couple of heavy metal bands that I've worked with as well. Do you have to alter your focus when you say dealing with an opera singer as opposed to a rock singer? Yeah, there's a different technique involved. Yeah, there's a different way you use your airflow. Um, uh, yeah, there's, and also you've got to hit the ground faster if you're a rocks person and, and there's a lot more study involved in the craft of opera or classical singing. You, there's so much to learn because um, you'll be dealing with languages, things like that. Do people realise it generally when they try and get into it in the first place? The workload? Yeah. I, I think a lot of people say they want to be opera singers until they start trying to do it. And it, you just have to, it's hard. It's not hard in, if you're real willing to put in the work, it's fun. Um, but you have to be patient. It's a patience game and, um, and you just have to be ready to do hours and hours of extra research, all those types of things. Well, that was one thing I was going to ask, is how much work is involved? In the researching? Well, just right across the board. How many hours a day would someone, an, an aspiring opera singer, how many hours a day would they put it, be putting in? Well, you don't, I never used to try and sing more than three hours a day, but I would be reading history books, or I'd be going to museums, trying to see photos of that period so that I knew how people looked and um, and what else I'd be working on languages translating listening to different various recordings different recordings that people had done over the years and and trying to steal good ideas from from them listening to what speed they took it at and so there's a lot of research in that area um, yeah a lot of it's done mentally more so than with the physical side you don't realise how much work is actually in place and how much you need to do. Yeah, no, there's a lot because you're memorising everything and you're on stage for three hours a lot of the time. And there could be dialogue there as well and in, and in a different language. So, yeah, it's, there's lots and bits and pieces and it's memorising languages is a little harder than doing English as well. So, Have you ever forgotten lines? Have you, do you oh, yeah. <laughs> At times, it's how you cover, <laughs> and you, they're not just little little bits. And um, I've lost over the yeah, but you just cover really quickly and keep going. <laughs> Is that when you talk about the team aspect of what happens? Yeah, well, you've got your conductor out there, so he's um, he can prompt you from yeah. So he he's good giving you cues and stuff. Sometimes you miss a cue and you got to catch up. And does everybody know generally when you do make a boo boo? Yeah, they would um, on stage <laughs> because you're not, they're not used to hearing it. But it's not something that people dwell on. It's just everyone will have the odd glitch every now and again. With, yeah, And sometimes they're big, but you just learn to cover. You've got to make it look natural the whole time you're out there. And the audience won't pick it if you just keep on sailing through? No, not usually. No, not at all, unless they know the show really well. What made you leave London? Um, I was talking about my brother before and um, he, he got killed in a car accident and um, yeah, I got a call in 2007 saying that he was on life support back in Australia so I just jumped on a plane and came home and 
I just realised then that I was too far away from Australia. <laughs> so after that, um, I went back to London, finished what I was doing there for the next that year, and then decided to come back and just see where I wanted to be in Australia. I ended up in Gympie, which was the last place I was expecting. But um, I just came home and stayed with mum and dad for a few days, well, a couple of weeks, and then rented a house in Gympie. I had students already lined up before I left London. So um, yeah, so I came home and then realised that um, my skill set was quite good for out in the country areas because most people were concentrated in the cities. And I thought maybe I should just stay out here and offer something that I've learnt over the years that have kind of come from international people. Do people realise what you have and what we do have in you? Some do, yeah, I think so, yeah. It must have been difficult, the time with your brother. You were obviously very close, both yeah. playing tennis. Well, I just was his hitting partner mainly. <laughs> well, I got hit a lot by him. Um, no, he. we were close and we were only a year apart in age, well, 15 months, and he... Yeah, we were very close, but it was a bit much. My sister, I've still got a sister alive, and um, and yeah, I just thought it was a bit mean for me to be away and let her take on my my parents who were aging as well. And yeah, it just makes you think, oh, I don't want to miss out on anything anymore. That's I was having a lovely time over there, but the selfishness kind of <laughs> back to the empathy bit from my nursing days came kicking back in, so I came home. How important is family to you? Oh, very important, because I wouldn't be anywhere without them, yeah. Coming back to Gympie, was it like just putting on an old pair of jeans when you came back? No, it was so different for London, was so busy, and I came back and there was all of a sudden everything was standing still, <laughs> and there was, um, it was very different. I was trying to recognise things again because I came home for holidays, but I never was. My brain never thought I'd be back here. It just was never in my in my psyche at all. Along the way, I thought it probably end up in Brisbane or Melbourne. If I did, when I did come back, I was preparing all the time to come back to Australia, but probably would have been coming back about now, and not when I did come home. How did you feel coming back to Gympie? Was it um, something that you? resent it a little bit then the fact that you oh no no I don't resent it it's just that it's just was not in my um I mean I don't make big plans but that one was not going to be in the in the plan along the way and it and I don't um it was just hard to get used to to start off with because all of a sudden I could go and out and see you know pick 10 uh, 100 shows and you know now then all of a sudden I'm going what do I do in my spare time because I'm a lover of the arts <laughs> and um but it was nice because some of my friends had moved back that were singers as well that had been in Europe and and the UK so I had some friends old singing friends back here so that was nice coming back and being up in Gympie um yeah people were surprised I stayed in Gympie and I get teased teased a bit about it but I don't care anymore they see that the work I'm doing is is going quite well, so but they thought it was a bit strange that I stayed here. But um, I, I don't regret it in this for a second, and it's made my life very interesting because I've learnt to delve into areas that I don't understand. Like, well, well I am understanding now, but the pop world and country music scene, you know, that world. So it's never boring. It's always different every day. What I'm going to work on. What would you say would be something that floats your boat better, either a teacher and seeing a student progress or as a performer? Um, I'm enjoying teaching a lot. I don't have to practice anymore like I did. <laughs> um, yeah, I like watching people succeed because I think when you're a country kid, it's a little bit harder to know which way to go and navigate it. And I'm lucky that I've made a lot of friends along the way and um, that's one of my advices to my students is always remember the people on the way up because you're going to be meeting them on the way down <laughs> <laughs> and it's paid off for me because I have can ask favours and people will let me, uh, will have a look at some of my students and um, help me with some of those or give me ideas so I can always pick people's brains here and, and people are very generous with sharing. How did you find it when you did come back to Gympie from the London high life, as you said, when it was so quiet? How did you cope? Um, well, how did I cope? I, I think, well, I was pretty busy setting up my, my new job, um, so that was good. And 
I just, yeah, I learnt just to just slow things down um, and just appreciate the countryside a bit more and not the hustle and bustle. So, yeah, or I'd pop down to Brisbane if I needed a slight city fix or, or to Melbourne or something like that, yeah. When you're uh, floating around the house out of hours, what do you listen to? Not music. <laughs> <laughs> Very rarely do I put the radio on or anything to listen to the music. So I will listen to talk back a lot of the time. I'm interested in all of that. Um, but usually I would rather watch a movie and not think about music because I spent the whole day analysing it. Hmm. How has COVID affected the arts from what you see? In- oh, incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. It's been sad, sad for a lot of people. I had a friend that had had a massive work year lined up and he got to do none of it. Um, and, um, yeah, well, like I was talking about Aspie Jones as well, he... He's had some great moments for that have been cancelled, that he's, you know, really good career stepping moments that have been cancelled. And yeah, a lot of people are really struggling. And I just, think, I mean, I'm just lucky I'm in the teaching world, but I've done a lot of online teaching during it. And that's tricky, trying to work with people with a delay on the sound. And um, you get to, you get used to it, but it's hard work staring at a screen all day as well and not just having the human being in the, in the room with you. Is that something that you'll, pursue more that online teaching um a little bit but um i'm pretty busy i work with about 50 to 60 people a week and so i am really don't want to get too busy um because i need to make a bit of time for me to have a moment alone in the quiet yeah kerry eaton thanks for joining us over the bonnet thank you very much for having me <laughs>